0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast.
1: Back and better than ever, Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. On today's menu, we've got a playoff simulation, a plethora of cautionary quarterback tales, a mask no one is ever going to wear again, And McShay's first McBoard feels like a holiday. The hashtag crew is here. Let's go. Here we go. Go,
0: go. Only one place
1: to start. All right, the one place to start is going to be football conversation here this morning. And no better way to have it than when my buddies are good enough to hang out a little extra time. Dominique Foxworth and Mike Tannebaum. Uh, with us after we wrap up Get Up this morning. And then we started today with the Monday night game last night. And, you know, it's interesting because the Patriots are a team that just kind of hangs around in there. And I wanted to get a quick thought on the bottom of the AFC playoff picture. If the season ended today, the Dolphins would be in the playoffs. The Patriots would be in the playoffs. The Chargers would be in the playoffs. The Jets would not, but they would be the next team out. Those feel like the four teams that are going to fight it out for three spots. The, the AFC playoff picture is going to be Buffalo, Baltimore, and Cincinnati. One of them wins the division. The other one will be a wild card. Um, Tennessee and, and, uh, and Kansas City. The question is, which of the other teams is going to win a playoff game? And, and I'm leading to something, but I'm going to ask it honestly. Miami, the Chargers, the Patriots, the Jets. Who do the big boys not want to see in the first round of the playoffs.
0: I think it's got to be Mike Tannenbaum's Chargers. Uh, it's got to be Justin Herbert. It comes down to quarterbacks in many times that can elevate – uh, and, and we saw the difference between Herbert and Tua in that game is when things broke down around Tua, he scrambled for six or seven yards, which was a, a nice, a plus, a good thing. When things broke down around Justin Herbert, he'd scramble to the right and then throw the ball back across his body for a 40-yard pass to Mike Williams. So, like, that's the type of stuff that I think scares opponents and scares defenses, Um, and frankly, you don't want to see that level of variance in the playoffs because he, without his injury, that might be part of the reason why Herbert hasn't had his greatest season as we expect, but he has the capability to be a guy that blacks out in a playoff game and takes it over, which I'm not sure that any of those other teams have a guy like that.
2: Yeah, I agree with Nick. When you watched that game the other night, it almost seemed like their scheme was like, all right, Justin, we're going to let one free runner come every play like Christian Wilkins, Jalen Phillips, The Chargers offensive line didn't have a lot of depth, and they had an injury with Rashawn Slater, which has been hugely consequential. So in one game, Greeny, he can extend the down enough where he can make a couple plays that those other quarterbacks, it all has to be perfect for them to win. He's the
1: best quarterback of that group, I agree, inclusive of Tua, and we saw them go head-to-head this Sunday night. I actually think the answer might be the Jets, though, and I understand that people will accuse me of being hopelessly biased, but the other way the teams sometimes win playoff games you don't expect them to is when their defense just wrecks it. And the Jets have a defense that can just wreck it. I mean, Just ask Josh Allen how much fun he's had playing against the Jets the last couple of weeks. That defensive line, assuming Quinn and Williams... Injury isn't that bad. I, I think he that's, should be in the defensive player of the year conversation. I think that's a team nobody wants to see.
0: I think that's incredibly fair. And I, I think Mike White is playing better than he did last year. Like, Mike White is good. He's played serviceably in most of these games. And you saw the way the team rallies around him. Even when he throws early interceptions, he bounces back. And they all still believe. I think that's fair. I I certainly, as a quarterback, I would not want to see that defensive line, particularly the way that... um th- Well, when Quentin Williams is healthy, that defensive line is as good as it gets in football.
2: You see, Greer, I would take the Patriots over the Jets. This Jet team reminds me a little bit of the Jet teams we had, but without Brees Hall, where the Patriots still have Ramondre Stevenson, and I think the Jets have a little bit of a better defense than the Patriots, but the Patriots could rush the pastor, so that's the other team that I think they may have a – Pretty high, se- uh, high floor, but a really low ceiling.
1: Let me throw a different thought at you here. By the way, you're listening to Greeny, presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive is proud to support veterans and small businesses with their annual Keys to Progress vehicle giveaway program, helping veterans move their lives forward since 2013. Learn more at keys to progress dot com. <clears throat> I actually opened uh, Get Up this morning with a little bit of a joke as we showed the highlight of Patriots Cardinals last night and then the handshake at midfield between Cliff Kingsbury and Bill Belichick. And I said, well, there's Bill with his future offensive coordinator, Cliff Kingsbury. And like any good joke, there's a seed of truth in it. Uh, I don't think Cliff Kingsbury is going to be the coach of the Arizona Cardinals anymore next year. And I don't think Bill can continue with whatever nonsense it is he has going on there with Matt Patricia and Joe Judge. So Cliff Kingsbury, OC, New England, who says no? Tannenbaum.
2: Well, I'll take your idea a step further. Cliff Kingsbury is the second most famous six-round quarterback drafted by Bill Belichick after Tom Brady. So there is a connection there. Coach Belichick drafted Cliff Kingsbury, they know each other well, and crazier things have happened. I don't think you can rule it out. What's he doing there?
1: Like, you know him well. Again, I, I point out, no one, none of us knows him. Like, Mike Tanabam. you have saunaed mm-hmm. with the man, um, which gives me the opportunity to use sauna as a verb, which I love to do. Um, so, so you know Bill, and and I have nothing but res- You know how much I respect Bill. He, he's the greatest coach of all time. I, I believe he absolutely is that. But I don't know if he thinks he's trying to prove a point or what it is he's doing. But that thing is a mess and I feel like it is not helping his young somewhat high-strung quarterback.
2: He fundamentally believes that everything is about development. I'm going to develop my roster on the field and off the field. And candidly like he hired me twice and paid me $300 a week to drive people and develop people in the front office and you know that's all well documented. And Greeny, he believes in Joe Judge, he believes in Matt Patricia, and he believes in development and there's the thought, and I have talked to Coach Parcells at length about this, when you're a defensive guy, you can scheme offensive plays that you know inherently gives you problems. So this is obviously taken to the nth degree, but that's, I would think, what Coach Belichick was thinking.
0: I actually see it kind of differently. Like I think the development thing is probably true, but I think that it's about Coach Belichick wanting control, and this is the way that he he's always kind of wanted to play football. He wants to keep it close, not make mistakes, and not – uh, put the offense in in positions to have turnovers and have issues. Like I think part of the limitations on their offense is because that's his kind of philosophy. And I think when you ask who says no, Cliff Kingsbury says no because like <laughs> does he want to go there and then be the guy who has to call screens on every down and the guy who's uh, running the ball on every single first down? Like I think that coach Belichick like, thoroughly believes in this is like this is what gives us the best chance to win and I think it makes some sense because who do we trust more to execute well at the end of the game and when the stakes are high if the game is close then Bill Belichick and a Patriots
1: team all right Greeny and Graz and uh, Graziano will join us a little bit later Tanabaum and Dominique Foxworth here in the studio with me L- let's get on to something next you and I Dominique have over the many years that we've been doing this tv show together in the mornings there's no question who we have spoken of the most yeah We have talked about Dak Prescott more than we've talked about any other player in pro football. And I think you can make an argument that right now he might be the most important guy in the whole sport because he's got, I think, the best shot of anybody to knock out Philly in the NFC, Brock Purdy notwithstanding. I mean, I just I can't I I can't watch Tampa play anymore. So let's put Brady in a different. uh, Forget about it. That's not Tom Brady as we've always known him to be. Taylor Heineke, Daniel Jones, Geno Smith, uh, Kirk Cousins. Cousins. I'm not buying any of these teams. The Cowboys are good enough to do it if the quarterback plays well, and he just doesn't look right, and I can't decide why.
0: I mean, I think you could put some on the offensive line, but I still think that you're right. He doesn't look right. It's been issues with accuracy. Uh, Consistently hitting his spots is something that I never really thought Dak Prescott had issue with, but it seems like he has it this year. But I'll preempt you, Mike T. Yes, they still score a lot of points, and they still have lots of success. You're right. Great point. (laughs) Yeah, because it's true, and it's fair, and I think we should, Dak deserves some credit for that. But I, I think you also have to accept that when you watch the games, he doesn't look sharp, except for when you we really really need him he leads a 98 yard touchdown drop so it's it's up and down with him right now he hasn't been that high level of quarterback that you want him to be
2: yeah during the show we disagreed or I disagreed with you and Swagu about Philly and Dallas but to me both things can be true Philly can look dominant for the whole year um, and as Dan Graziano said you know during the show like in the playoffs weird things can happen and in yeah. one game like what it, sh- it would not shock me for Dallas to put up 35 more against Philadelphia and win 45-42, they have a really high ceiling. I believe in Dak. I always have. Um, I think maybe he's not top four, but I certainly think he's top eight to ten. Here's the flip side of it.
1: He's been back for seven games since he got hurt. They're six and one in those seven games, and they have scored 24, 49, 28, 40, 28, 54, (laughs) and 27 points. That's incredible. So, I mean, they've scored a ton of points. But the reality is the Eagles are so good, and and I was watching because— what else do I have to do? I was watching Robert Sala's news conference yesterday <laughs> on YouTube, and, and, uh, and, and he was pointing out that when it gets to this point, it's all about the little details. Like, one little thing is going to be the difference. If the Cowboys play the—they're going to play each other a week from Saturday, and then if they wind up playing each other in the playoffs, it's going to be the one terrible mistake that the quarterback makes that winds up deciding the game. I think the teams are that close. Yeah. And you would think, well— Dak is the veteran. Jalen is the young guy. But right now, I think you're more worried that Dak is the one who makes the mistake. I mean, because the terrible mistake is not always
0: like a mistake because like you just threw it to the wrong guy. It could be a mistake because you're under pressure the whole game and you feel antsy. That's something we haven't seen from Jalen Hurts that much this season because he, frankly, is a much better runner than Dak Prescott and has a much better (laughs) offensive line than Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott has the ability to run, but that's not in his repertoire, the design run, and also the scramble to big plays. It's more like scramble because it happened, not scramble because it could help you. And so I think that's why uh, we're all leaning more towards the Eagles right now than the Cowboys because it's hard to imagine a scenario where Jalen Hurts is going to be uncomfortable. It's easy to imagine a scenario where Dak is under a lot of pressure.
2: But the other way is you can make him irrelevant. That's what Washington did. They just said, hey, we're going to run the ball every time and control the line of scrimmage. Keep pointing to
0: that game. That game was not uh, uh, that game didn't make me feel like the Eagles could get beaten. There were like three fluke plays in that. They did not stop Jalen Hurts. He hit bomb after bomb after bomb. It It just happened that the Eagles would fumble it after he did it.
2: Right, but they kept the ball away from it. And what I'm saying is with Pollard and Zeke Elliott, Dallas could approach the game the same way. They could play a couple different styles, and that's where Mike McCarthy has to be a strategist, which is if they can't slow down Philadelphia, Try to play keep away. Now, to Philly's credit, they go out, they sign Linville Joseph in Dominican Sue. But if there is a vulnerability, that's what it would be to me.
1: All right. One final thing here. Uh, it feels like there were three teams. Or should I have Baltimore in the discussion? I, I feel like there were three teams in the AFC that have really separated themselves. Baltimore technically right now is the, the, right. the leader of the AFC North, and I don't expect them to hang on to that. But their schedule is actually pretty favorable. Yeah. Well,
0: I mean, they haven't separated themselves. I don't think that they belong in those three teams that you're thinking of. Well, right Kansas now.
1: City, yeah. Buffalo and Cincinnati. Right. right. I mean, I just right. I'm envisioning all the people saying, hey, you idiot. Baltimore is actually ahead of Cincinnati in their division. Right. Whatever. Right now. That palatial estate. Mike T. loves to get his steps in down there in Boca, walking around down there amidst all the, you a know. A you know. He gets a Schwitz up there in the morning, goes yeah. over, you know, a little, little corned beef on ride Boca Rio yeah. before playing 18. <laughs> and then Mateos on Friday nights. Uh, 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 with the large meatballs. Believe me, if there's one thing you and I know, it's Boca.
0: Anyway. <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what anybody's talking about right now.
1: I resemble that comment. But the, 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 here's the question. If you had to bet that palatial estate of yours down there that you love more than life itself, on one of those three teams and one of those three quarterbacks to be in the Super Bowl this year. Burrow, Allen, Mahomes. Who you got?
2: I'm going with Burrow. He's been there. He did it. And right now, I think they're playing the most consistent. And uh, I, I'm really surprised. I thought it would have been Buffalo. And I don't know if it's Brian Dayball losing Von Miller, but it's a little bit of, of both. And then with Kansas City, um, look, gotta give them all the credit in the world. They They lost the most explosive player in the sport. They haven't missed a beat, but... Um, until someone dethrones Cincinnati, I think they just kind of look and feel like the best team.
0: Yeah, I, 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 everything in me wants to say Kansas City and Patrick Mahomes because he's so special. But I think if we're being honest about, uh, especially since they beat him recently, uh, they actually play some decent defense compared to the Chiefs who somehow let the Broncos put up buckets on them, which is not something that anyone has done this year. It makes you a little uneasy about the Chiefs' um, chances in the playoffs.
1: Uh, and, and look, we're going to get to see Cincinnati uh, with Buffalo as well. The, the, the Bengals got Kansas City at home and beat them. They're going to get Buffalo at home on January 2nd. Ooh. So that becomes a very, very interesting game. Okay, fellas, I could do this forever. Thank you both so much. Dominique, Thanks. Mike T, we appreciate it. Your chance to be a part of Greeny Nation coming up on the Dr. Pepper call-in line ESPN Nation presented by Dr. Pepper. It ain't college football season without the delicious taste of a nice cold Dr. Pepper, the one that fans deserve. My takes are coming up here next uh, and they will include some thoughts on a very different kind of legend that we lost last night. That's on the way. This is Greeny on ESPN Radio. Greeny the podcast Macy's has the perfect gift guide to make picking something for mom easy this year. Head to Macy's.com slash gift finder today. That's Macy's.com slash gift finder. I'm Greeny. This is ESPN Radio. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. The assembled members of the hashtag crew have indeed assembled around us, and we will say hello to them, and I will give you my takes uh, in 30 seconds after this word from ZipRecruiter. As the holidays approach, many businesses are hiring for festive jobs, things like turkey catcher and reindeer wrangler. Those are actual jobs on ZipRecruiter. Now, if ZipRecruiter can fill those roles, what roles can't they fill? ZipRecruiter uses powerful technology to find and match the right candidates for your job so you can discover hiring joy with ZipRecruiter. Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. So see for yourself. Go to this exclusive web address to try ZipRecruiter for free. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Greeny. ZipRecruiter.com slash G-R-E-E-N-Y. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Okay. so this Greeny's Takes. I'm having a little trouble technologically. It's first it didn't work, then it did work. Here we go. My top takes coming out of a week in football here. So the way this is going to work is that Hembo is going to throw at me one of the many questions. Hembo is the content producer for Get Up, and it's his job to ask a variety of questions to Dominique Foxworth and Mike Tannenbaum and Marcus Spears and others the night before we do a show, and then we decide how we're going to build our show based on the answers but I never get a chance to answer them on television because everyone else is always just talking and taking up all of my time. Mm. So that's why I have a radio show now, so I can give my thoughts on all these. So go ahead and ask me the questions that you ask them, and I'll give you the real answers. Greeny, is Dak Prescott the weak link in Dallas? Absolutely, positively not. The Dak slander has got to stop, and this is getting to be ridiculous. Is he playing like the best quarterback in the NFC? No. Is he playing the best we've ever seen him play? No. But I just ran through everything that I just ran through with you a moment ago. They've played seven games since he came back. In those seven games, they are 6-1. and The one they lost was at Lambeau Field, a game they had a two-touchdown lead against Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in the fourth quarter. And they have scored 24-49, 28-40, 28-54, and 27 points. So he's doing something right on offense. They've had some turnovers. They had a bad game this past week against the Texans. But what I will say is a few weeks ago on the same day, the Eagles barely squeaked past the Colts. They needed two big plays, including a fourth down from their quarterback to do it. And on that same day, the Cowboys beat Minnesota 40 to three. So these things kind of shift in perception regularly. I don't think the space between those two teams is that great between the Eagles and the Cowboys. And I think if Dak plays as well as he's capable of, I absolutely think they have a chance to go to the Super Bowl this year. So I'm glad that the right answer to that question was finally offered. What's
4: next? Is Tom Brady actually... Part of the problem in Tampa, and how does that? The answer to that inform his future.
1: The answer is absolutely yes. Everything is part of the problem in Tampa, including him. Which is to say, he's not the worst player on their team, but he's no longer the best either. And I don't know who is because they're so bad. They're unwatchable. I mean, they are—they are, they are the least fun team to watch I've ever seen. And I—I I tweeted it, not even jokingly, the other day while watching their game. Tom Brady, it looks to me like all he wants to do now is go find someone to yell at. And what is this I'm hearing now? Did he not shower after the game on Sunday? Is that what I'm being told? Yes,
4: he confirmed that he did not shower after that loss on Sunday to Sandy. Well, San what Francisco. is that
1: about? I mean, it wasn't, they didn't stink enough on the field. He needed to stink on the plane. I mean, they hardly moved the ball enough for him to break a sweat. No, no. So, so, so Brady, look, he is part of the problem, and his future has got to be getting the hell out of there. I can't imagine he's going to retire. Because if, if he wasn't if he was dead set on continuing to play, I don't think he'd be playing now, which is to say his coming back and whatever impact that had on his family and his life, the priority he has placed on remaining a football player as long as he possibly can, I don't think goes away based on this. I think he's got to get out. I also don't think he wants to end it on this note. And can you imagine this being the last taste in his mouth, this godforsaken, horrible football team that i really hope loses out in the division to carolina or anyone but that said i think he goes somewhere next year now where is that somewhere i don't know people keep talking about new england i don't buy it for a second people are asking me about the jets i don't buy it for a second Um, it can't be miami anymore so what are the places that he might wind up where he thinks he might be able to win i actually think san francisco is a very real possibility let him come there Let Trey Lance learn from him for one season. Let Brady try and go out on top with a team that he just saw up close and personal is awfully dangerous in a lot of different ways. I think Brady to San Francisco next year might make a lot of sense.
4: Next. Next. Should the Eagles pay Jalen Hurts?
1: I think the answer is yes. So the Eagles are going into, bear in mind, everyone has gotten very used to quarterbacks and other players, but generally we talk about it with quarterbacks. They play three years And then the team gets to decide whether or not they're going to pick up their fifth-year option. So that's what's going to happen this offseason with Joe Burrow, with Justin Herbert, with Tua Tungavailoa. That is not going to happen with Jalen Hurts, to make sure everyone is aware. That is something that only applies to first-round draft picks. That's why sometimes teams like to sneak into the back end of round one and take a quarterback, because you get that fifth year. With Jalen Hurts, they don't get that. So this is like a Dak situation again. This is the end of his third season. If they don't re-sign him, then he'll be a lame duck. He will be going into the final year of his contract, and you could wind up in a situation where suddenly are you going to franchise him? And We're living that life in Philly. So I guess I'll turn the question around and ask it to you. Is there any doubt in your mind? Because you watch snap in, snap out. Again, Hembo, my resident Eagles fan. Is there any question in your mind that what we're seeing with Jalen Hurts is real?
4: No, there's no question. He, he's been too good this year to sort of slow play this, to take this year to year, to try to get cute. He's only 24 years old. He's demonstrated so much growth. And if you're just viewing the trajectory of the player, you can't help but buy in. And frankly, the longer you wait, as we're learning with Lamar Jackson, the more you got to pay him. I think they pay him this offseason. All
1: right, we'll see if we do it. Those are Greeny's takes here. We're presented by Progressive Insurance. Save when you bundle motorcycle, RV, and boat insurance. Visit Progressive.com. Meanwhile. I'm sorry, what? 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 I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, what? what? I'm sorry. what? I'm sorry, what? I I am fascinated by one thing that is going on with the New York Jets. And I understand that there are a lot of people that don't think that we should be diving so deeply into the backup quarterback situation of any NFL team at this point. But what's happening there fascinates me. The fact that they refuse to just flat out let Zach Wilson be the backup at this point demonstrates only one thing to me, and that is that this kid has done unimaginable damage to his own career in an incredibly short time. In a world where teams will do anything to make the second pick in the draft work, to find a way to justify having taken him, the Jets obviously have on their hands a situation that is so bad in their locker room that they can't even let him dress They have to send Joe Flacco out there as their backup, even though Joe Flacco retired two years ago. Joe Flacco wants to play less than I want to play, and yet they have to put him on the field. And the only explanation for that I can imagine is that Robert Sala knows, because he knows his team in his locker room better than I do, that there would be a revolt that he would lose his team if he put Zach Wilson back on the field. The damage, like when has that ever happened? How badly has this kid screwed up the relationships inside his own building in this period of time that they can't even dress him for an NFL game on a Sunday? Nuno, I, I don't know what to compare it to. I mean, the comparisons to Ryan Leaf are the things that jump to mind. There It almost feels like they're treating him like he's toxic, like he's radioactive. You can't make him the freaking backup with Mike White walking around out there without ribs. And you're going to put Joe Flacco out there in the event that something happens in games you desperately need to win. No one can tell me Joe Flacco is a better option on the field right now. There are no way. Better off with Joe Flacco on the field than they are with Zach. At absolute maximum, it's a push, and I don't even think it's that. They're just terrified to put the kid anywhere near the field. Nuno, you know, I can't remember the last time I've seen anything like it.
5: It's extremely bad, right? Because if you listen to Robert Sala, he's talking about, oh, he's doing the be- You know, he's doing what we asked for him in practice, and we're breaking down practice tape for him and things of that nature. Now, I have to ask you this though: At what point? As a jet like as a player, you're in that locker room and you see what Joe Flacco has given you that you turn to the coaching staff and be like, All right, I know we have an issue with this guy, but in worst case scenario, break glass, which we've seen this week, this past weekend, where all these hits that he took, Zach Wilson actually gives us a better shot than Joe Flacco. He needs to be the backup, and the fact that that
1: isn't happening is the point I'm making. I mean, that's the the the, the fact that the other players, if you're you know Quinnen Williams and Sauce Gardner and C.J. Mosley and all these guys who are playing so well on defense, and you're seeing what's happening out there, and I get it, Mike White, he's probably earned that job for the rest of this season, come hell or high water, but you. You can't even make this kid the backup that, that that and they all see it they all see Flacco he can't move he can't do anything so the fact that they're not willing to put the kid on the they won't give him a jersey he can, they won't give him a uniform on Sunday that, that I think tells you that things are even worse than you might have imagined
4: no doubt there, there are things there are things that we will learn down the road that happen this year that will make us that will that'll make our mouths agape like, we'll, we'll learn things about Zach Wilson, what he said, what he did, what he knew, what he didn't, how hard he worked, how hard he didn't work, etc. That will, I think, go a long way in informing how we came to this place. It is wild that the second pick in the draft is here right now. No,
1: it is Ryan Leaf-like. Yeah. That, that's the closest thing I can think of to remembering anything like it. It's time to say goodnight to that check engine light. With the free AutoZone FixFinder service, it'll help troubleshoot the likely cause of your light for free so you can drive with peace of mind. Restrictions apply. Get in the zone with AutoZone. All right, changing the tone. By now, you are very likely aware we had the news this morning, very sad news, as we were doing Get Up this morning, that Mike Leach has died. He was the football coach at Mississippi State. He was very well known prior to that. He coached at Washington State. He coached at Texas Tech and had very good teams down there. And he was uh, known for two things primarily during his coaching career. One was a very innovative offense. and We had people talking about how his offense really is something that you see pretty much across college and even pro football today. And he was known by me every bit as much for all the funny things he said. And so I wanted to bring Paul Feinbaum in here for a moment to share a recollection or two about Mike Leach, if we could. Because, Paul, we learned on TV this morning that he was someone you got to know doing radio shows together when he was between coaching jobs. And you were telling me all the different ways that made him a very different person from what we are accustomed to in the college coaching world. Yeah, Grady.
6: I, I think a lot of it had to do with his background. Uh, he he was not your conventional football coach. He didn't play college football. He had a law degree, so I think that separated him. And, and during those times when we had downtime between radio shows, we were doing uh, shows together d- during the playoffs a couple of many years ago for Sirius XM. Uh, he would just start waxing poetic about uh, world history or or you know movies or, or culture. And that's what interested him. You you never knew what you got. And I know I know it's a cliche to say, well, this guy's irreverent. Uh, but let's be honest. Most college football coaches, most NFL coaches are not irreverent. They're they're Bill Belichickian or Sabian, where you you you, you get uh, you get very little, if anything, with Leach. You you often got more than you bargained for. And one of the most difficult things, uh, especially during a live television interview, which we often have was uh, the the producer screaming in the ear to wrap it up. And you're, uh, and, and, and in my case, my refusal to do so because you did not want to interrupt Mike Leach while he was telling a story.
1: Fascinating guy in, in so many ways. And then quickly on the innovation of his offense. I I, I learned things today that I did not know, that he uh, went to BYU and he learned from Lavelle Edwards when they had these great quarterbacks and sort of developed this quote-unquote air raid system that, Paul, we see almost everywhere now.
6: Yeah, when, when he it really uh, blossomed at, at Kentucky, mm-hmm. uh, when he worked for a man named Hal Mummy who, who, in essence, invented it. Although he, uh, Hal mummy uh, gives gives Leach credit for it, uh, they had the uh, he produced the number one pick in the draft uh, at Kentucky, Tim Couch, who uh, is on that list of biggest bus ever. Um, and from there, uh, he went to Oklahoma, uh, and then later uh, where he uh, exchanged view. Uh, uh, not t- where He briefly coached Josh Heifel, um, who was one of his disciples, and, and he really made his mark at Texas Tech, where he had a walk-on quarterback named Cliff Kingsbury, uh, and he, that was one of his first great coaching uh, productions, and he produced Sonny uh, Dykes, who has, uh, of course, PCU in the playoff. Lincoln Riley uh, was part of his tree. Uh, and that's really just for starters. Uh, you know, he pulled a major upset at Texas Tech in 2000. They cost Matt Brown a national championship appearance. And when they beat uh, Texas on a, on a Saturday night, I think it was Michael Crabtree grabbing a mm-hmm. uh, touchdown with three seconds to go. They briefly were at number one in the country. And when you think about Texas Tech becoming number one in the country, Uh, Even for a few weeks, it's almost unprecedented. And I think at Washington State he did it, and, of course, at at Mississippi State. But what I often wonder about Greeny is what would have happened had he had one of of these big-time Power Five jobs. And he almost had one in 2017. Tennessee made a change. The athletic director went to L.A. uh, and and had a secret meeting with Leach, who came down from Pullman. And when the chancellor at Tennessee found out that he was about to offer the job to Mike Leach as a reverend, quirky guy, the chancellor recalled the head the athletic director fired him on the spot and mm-hmm. they ended up hiring Jeremy Pruitt who certainly will not be uh, remembered fondly by anyone anywhere
1: uh, fascinating stories i mean and, and paul again always such a fountain of information i appreciate you jumping in my friend on short notice both this morning and again now here on a sad day thanks so much for sharing your recollections Thank you, Green. See you soon. Yeah, it's, it's it's it has really struck me. I did not know Mike Leach at all. I mean, I you know watched him, of course, over the years, like everyone else. Um, and always found him very amusing you know when you would see all the clips of interviews and stuff he did but you know that that kind of when when Paul told us that that he was a lawyer with this very different perspective and we had Kirk Herbstreet and Chris Fowler both on the tv show this morning it was I thought it was important that we shared a little bit of that with you here again the very sad news that Mike Leach has died at the age of 61. I'll I'll break briefly on that we'll come back with more fun and uh, games here as we continue this is Greeny and you're listening to ESPN Radio Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. One thing Tom Brady didn't do on Sunday that may have been the biggest mistake of his career, and this has been confirmed, is that after an absolutely embarrassing showing by himself and his team in San Francisco... Sunday, in which they were thumped by the 49ers in a game that ended 35-7, but don't let that fool you, it wasn't nearly that close, that Tom Brady refused to take a shower and got on the plane that way. And the only thing I could think of is, there's a line, I believe it's from one of the more recent Batman movies, I hear it used a lot, I like it, and Nuno, you tell me if I'm getting this exactly right, but I think it is from the Batman movies. Which says, you either die a hero or you live long enough to become a villain. Is that right? That sounds right. Okay, so I have found an entire collection of people who don't know this line. I mean, there are two of us. I I know that you don't know it. Of course No, and so, I mean, I I have... This is like the most popular movie that's been made in the last 30 years. uh,
5: From the Dark Knight. Yeah, from the Dark Knight, which is
1: Batman, right? Like, I'm pretty close here. Anyway, you either die a hero or live long enough to become a villain. And I just wonder... Does anyone think that is starting to apply to Tom Brady? Now, in the minds, here's, here's how great Brady's career was. Brady's career was so great that even for those of us that rooted against his teams all the time, I mean, I'm a Jet fan. He was a patriot. Obviously, I've always rooted against him. I never really thought of him as a villain. And in particular, he got to a point where he was so good that you couldn't think anything else of it. Whether you're rooting for him or not, I didn't have any sports hatred of him. I don't know exactly what it is now, but there's something about him yelling at everyone that really rubs me the wrong way. Like, I'm watching this and I'm watching him throw bad passes and look completely out of sync with people. For all I know, half those are his fault. Mike Evans and he seem not to have ever met. I have no idea how they won a Super Bowl playing together. But Brady is just playing badly and he is just running around looking like he thinks it is everyone's fault but his own. He's yelling at refs. He's yelling at coaches. He's yelling at his offensive line. He's yelling at his receivers. And I'm not suggesting that he's going to go out, quote, unquote, the villain. But this is a bad look. Like, I I don't, this is not if this is the end, this is not the way I would have expected it to end for him.
4: Yeah, Tom Brady is your old, surly neighbor that's always around. If you see him on the, on the street and you're walking your dog, you switch to the other side of the street. If, you, if he winds up talking to you, you, you end that conversation as fast as you possibly can. He's just lost his mind. At least that's how it appears on TV when you're watching these games. It's, it is somewhat sad. It's like You're watching something that you knew was so great and so pure. Be none of the above
1: the question is can he recapture it Nuno let's look into the Nuno crystal ball I believe Brady will play another season I do not believe it'll be in Tampa so he will go somewhere and much in the way that we wondered well you know did we get some clarity on the Brady versus Belichick of it all when he went to Tampa and won a Super Bowl I ask you will we get some clarity when he makes his next stop that says this was a, a, a team problem. There's a lot of stuff going on there. No one could have elevated it. This was not about Brady falling off. Or will Brady just not look like Brady wherever it is he goes next? Nuno, Crystal Ball, what's your prediction?
5: I don't think... I think after a reset, because I think he needs it, Yeah. I think we'll... <sighs> I'm having a tough time with this because I asked you know, I wonder: is is he a better option than a Derek Carr in in Las Vegas? Is he a better option than right now what we're seeing out of Brock Purdy or or Jimmy G? And we would never say that. I just think so. That's what I wonder. I also wonder: will he stop with the petulant child stuff that that everyone now all of a sudden is is calling him out on? Right? It's that he's always done the the cursing at a, at his teammates, the throwing. Uh, you know, the, whatever the Microsoft things are called. Uh, Yeah, the tablets. I want to call, I was going to call it an iPad. And I know, but like, will, will we, will we stop? Will he stop doing that? Because that's what it seems at this point in time that people are just tired of his act, right? And real quick, I'll use it as Cristiano Ronaldo. Same type of thing it's his career is almost over he's given us a great career but like all the all the stuff that he's doing now towards the end of it are rubbing people the wrong way and i think that's what brady's doing well it all looks different when you win when you're
1: winning all that stuff looks different and part of it is because when you do all that stuff and then you win the game you see everyone hugging It's like, oh, yeah, it's all good Mm. when it doesn't. And Brady goes in there after the game and refuses to shower and gets on the plane back. And that's a long freaking flight. San Francisco to Tampa. (laughs) I don't care how fast you plane. That is a long way to travel after a football game without taking a shower. It, It then takes you very literally back to the legendary Bill Parcells expression that winning is the great deodorant. So if they win that game and he refuses to shower and he yelled at everybody, you're like, oh, that Tom, uh, he's unbelievable. Now, all of a sudden, when you lose and you throw two interceptions and you're screaming at everybody and breaking tablets and not showering and your team is just unwatchably awful, it does feel different. So from a professional standpoint, as one who admires him, I mean, I have great admiration for Brady. If you don't respect what that guy has done and what he has been about in his career, then you don't love sports. But for his sake, I hope he does have another good year so it doesn't end like this. He's he's too good a player for it to end like this. It's not just bad at this point, it feels ugly. I will right, we'll continue in just a moment. You're listening to Greenie on ESPN radio.
0: Thanks for listening to Greenie the podcast. You can listen live each weekday morning at ten Eastern on ESPN radio or